This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're having a good day as much as I am currently right now. I have to say the market today I mean, there's some news. There's a lot of news, in fact, but just boiling it down, there are a few things I want to be able to cover in today's podcast. First things first, there's a hot job market and a great resignation as and the great resignation persists despite recession threat in the making in the job market. Okay. Then there was an article that was released today about how the school security industry was valued at 3.1 billion in 2021. And finally, we got some things to talk about with oil, whether it has to deal with Europe that's in panic mode trying to avert a crisis. Oil tumbles as much as 10% to break under $100 a barrel, looks like, as a recession fears loomed. And there is a chance, and this is this might get your blood boiling a little bit, that Joe Biden had sent some oil reserves overseas and <clears throat> as Americans are coping with gas prices. We'll get into more details on that when the time comes. But like I always say at the beginning of each podcast, guys, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about on this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to be able to do your own research before investing in anything. You also need to go talk to your own professional advisor before making these investments decisions. As your professional advisor would understand things a little bit more than I would. This whole podcast is for information purposes only. There is a chance that if I do talk about stocks in this podcast that I might have a small position in, and I will make sure I say those positions if I do bring up those company names currently in this podcast today. But I'm not a professional advisor and I cannot legally I cannot legally give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. Please go talk to your own professional advisor. With that, let's begin today's podcast. First off, the job market is still red hot despite recession fears as the great resignation continues. Okay. Workers are still reaping the benefits of a hot job market characterized by a few layoffs, ample job openings, and a high level of voluntary departures, according to the U.S. Department of Labor data issued Wednesday. The numbers revealed that the pandemic air trend known as the Great Resignation is still in full swing despite fears of a U.S. recession, though it does show some signs of leveling off, Labor Economics said. Overall, this doesn't look good. Sorry. Overall, this doesn't look like a job market about to tip into a recession, said Daniel Zeho, a senior economicist at career site Glassdoor. Labor demand is still extraordinarily hot, and it is even and even if things are cooling from white hot, they're still red hot. And it says job openings are quite near record highs. There are nearly 11.3 million job openings on the latest on the last last business day of May. And according <clears throat> Last business day of May, the Labor Department reported Wednesday. Job openings, a proxy for employers' demand for labor, are down from about 11.7 million in April and a record high 11.9 million in March. But they're still elevated in historical terms from hovering near their level in late 2021. Additionally, workers have been quitting their jobs at near record levels. About 4.3 million people are voluntarily left their jobs in May, about level with April, and down slightly from the peak of more than 4.4 million in March. Quote, that's... The quits rate was doing 100 miles per hour on the freeway. It slowed down, but it's still doing 90, said Nick Bunker, an economicist at Job Site Indeed. It's still pretty quick, just not as fast as it was. The great resignation trend has been a centerpiece of the labor market since early 2021. It's even entered the 
Zdikis via called uh, called Quit Tots on social media, tick site TikTok, and a Beyonce song released in June, for example. Largely, workers who depart are finding jobs elsewhere, hired by factors like higher pay. According to economic wages in May, jumped 6.1% versus a year earlier, the biggest annual increase in more than 25 years, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. It's going to be interesting to see how this trend continues going forward. People don't seem, I mean, they always say like, oh, people don't want to work as much anymore. No, I just think people are just getting tired of not being able to make money. I think that's what it boils down in the end. People are tired of not being able to make money and be able to survive in this world. Because companies for the longest time had all the benefits in, in reality. They were able to hire whoever they wanted and it didn't matter because they could pay them whatever wage they wanted. And people are just tired of this now and people are not going to put up with it. It also makes me wonder how many of these businesses will continue to survive going forward because that means companies now have to be willing to put out more money in order to get some of these people. It says on later on for the, on the same article from CNBC, there's historic low, low there's historic, historically low layoff rates continue. Layoffs were near record lows in May. The layoff rate, which measures layoffs in the month as a percentage of total employment, was unchanged at 0.9% in May, the Labor Department said Wednesday. Before the pandemic, 1.1% of the country's lowest layoff rate. May marked the 15th straight month in which layoffs were below the pre-pandemic record, an indication that employees are holding on to their existing workers, Bunker said. Meanwhile, the unemployment rate of 3.6% is near its pre-pandemic level in early 2020, when it was 3.5%. That was the lowest job jobless rate since 1969. Quote, it's still a job seekers labor market, Bunker said. Workers still have lots of bargaining power. And continuing on the quote, they may be lost a little leverage for a couple of months ago, but we haven't seen significant change there yet. I'm just curious to know what's going to end up happening. Like I said, I feel like people are just getting tired of being paid low wages and not being able to live life that they want to. And so people are finally just saying enough's enough. And because of that, they're being able to step up a little bit more and demand higher wages. And some companies are willing to pay it and others are not so much. So it's going to be interesting to see how things keep going moving forward. Okay. On to more articles from CNBC from the politics side of things. The school security industry is valued at $3.1 billion. Here's why that may not be enough. This makes things interesting, okay? Now, granted, I have to mention this right now before I get into this article. I do have a small position in a company called Nightscope, which is in the security company world. But it's curious to know that they believe that this is not enough here in this current article. And remember, with Nightscope, I do have a long position. So this is not financial advice, obviously. Going on with the article, after the high-profile mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, where 19 students and two teachers were killed, many politicians who are opposed to stricter gun laws have been calling for hardening U.S. schools. President Joe Biden signed a rare bipartisan legislation to address gun violence late last month. The law provided $1 billion in funding for schools to, quote, create safe and healthy learning environments for all students, as well as an additional $300 million to go toward training and equipment that could help during a threat of violence. The private security industry that focuses specifically on education sector has projected revenue of $3.1 billion in 2021. That is expected to grow by more than 8% annual on average, according to the research consulting firm Omida. However, the estimates only look at companies that provide technology that helps control who enters schools, such as cameras and electric locks. The Department of Justice, Department of Education, and Department of Homeland Security at the federal level each have programs that provide grant money to school districts for security upgrades. The Department of Justice has awarded more than $410 million in grants through the programs created under the Stop School Violence Act of 2018. Security experts warn that the grants program to help secure schools may not 
be significant. Quote, we've gone into schools where they've had a one-time shot in the arm funding through a grant or a school board allocation for putting in additional cameras, for example. And then we go in three or four years later and the cameras aren't working, said Ken Trump, president of National School Safety and Security Services. Trump is not related to the former president, Donald Trump. Good to know about that. Continuing on the article, they have no budget at the schools or school districts left for maintenance, repairs, replacement, Trump added. Yet there is the facade, the security theater that they made school safer when in reality, a lot of technology and equipment is not being used. On top of the inconsistent funding for schools to buy these services, the demand from parents and school districts also tends to ebb and flow based on news events. <clears throat> this sporadic demand is affecting industry growth when it comes to companies that provide security equipment and services to control who can access the building. The growth rates can vary from 5% to 15%, depending on how many school shootings take place in a given year, according to Omida. So the reason why I brought up Nightscope earlier, because I would like to talk a little bit about Nightscope. Nightscope, security technology company. Okay. Nightscope has mentioned in the past, at least, that their, their biggest thing is not a whole lot of people know who they are in general. Okay. But Nightscope does have a couple of crime-finding wins. Nightscope recently deployed one of their robots in a school district. Now, granted, the school district that they put it in, I believe it was the private sector for the school district. And then they're trying to release one in the public school sector, I think, in Colorado. Because I think the private one was in Florida, and I think the other one's going to be in Colorado soon. Nightscope is trying to virtually form a brand new industry to invest in in the market. Okay. This could be a potential trend in the making where you could potentially see a new sector being created, okay, within the market itself. And security might be the answer for what they're looking for. Now, at the same time, this article did just mention that schools don't have a lot of funding for it, okay? So it makes me wonder at the end of the day, if eventually, if a lot of these schools are going to start feeling the pinch because they can't afford as much security, or maybe they're going to have to start making decisions on what's more important, protecting kids at schools with more security or not do anything at all. It's hard to tell. But it is interesting to see that they they value it at $3.1 billion, the school security systems right now, or at least the security industry in general. But this is saying the school security industry is valued at $3.1 billion. So it's going to be interesting to see how this trend continues if it does. I mean... I personally think, like I've always mentioned, I think Nightscope is the future of technology for security. It's going to help with officers be able to do their jobs a little bit more. But at the same time, where's the money going to be coming from? In all seriousness, at least in the the public school se sector, it's through local taxes. But in the private, it could just be part of the fees for your kids to go to school. I personally would not be surprised if the public school system is the last to get these technologies. And in all seriousness, in general, because public schools just don't have the funding at all. Well, not at all. It just depends on the school district, but it's going to be interesting to see. But I do expect uh, private schools are going to end up getting beefing up their security a little bit more, which is going to make parents want to send their kids to a more safe school than a school that there's no guaranteed your child's going to be safe while at school. But like I said, this is a trend that's potentially going to be in the making where you're going to see more security companies appear in the market, potentially and be able to see that industry grow in front of our eyes. That's probably the new market in the making, like I keep saying. So, But this isn't financial advice. This is just me observing what could potentially happen. Now we're going to end with oil because we got three articles to talk about with oil. 
First off, from the energy op-ed, energy supply fears have Europe in panic as it tries to avert a full-blown crisis. As a business executive friend of mine texted me Wednesday, Europe feels like a starting, it feels like, sorry, Europe feels like it's starting to panic. He's right. The concern about energy supplies are accelerating into a full-blown crisis with huge humanitarian and global economic impacts. Vladimir Putin's disgusting war has resulted. Western sanctions on Russia are obviously playing a big role right now. But the macro risk, Europe's reliance on Putin and the cheap gas Russia provides, was already years in the making before the war. It probably It's probably one reason why Putin <clears throat> became emboldened. As energy cost remains this high, the entire German in- industrial economy seems at a risk of slowdowns or shutdowns in certain segments. The near-term risk is particularly high and Putin's cuts off Nord Stream flows for longer than 10 days. And this is what schedules to happen on Monday as maintenance activists get underway. The pipeline in Europeans' biggest piece of gas import infrastructure. It's not just Germany, Germany that's at risk. A labor strike has been threatening uh, crucial Norwegian gas flows to the UK. The crisis has been averted by the Norwegian government, which stepped in Wednesday to propose a compulsory wage attribution. And the UK has also reported racing to reopen natural gas storage site that has been shuttered in 2017 in the hope of providing more capacity. France is pushing OPEC messaging and wants more Iranian barrels on the market. And Dutch farmers are currently mass protesting over clearly not thought on climate emission rules that could further threaten Europeans' food supply. The race is on to get German natural gas storage levels solidified before the winter. It's unclear energy rationing of some kind is likely. Unless Putin's war with Ukraine ends and or sanctions are removed before winter, it's hard to see a drastic European economy and financial slowdown as demand destruction kicks in. How can German care makers afford to make cars with energy costs so high? We will find out. If this happens, the ultimate question... Uh, the, the people of Europe will be willing to sacrifice for Putin's war, especially coming out of COVID. I hate to say it, but it's starting to feel a bit like 2007 and the second and third deprivative impacts possible on debt, banks, and global economy. Europe and the German Germany in particular will likely be talking more about bailouts for multi-billion utilities and in industri- industrials. The scenario seems inve- inevitable, some kind of swift end to the war. I got to say, we've talked about this a lot on this channel. Europe is going to be in full-blown crisis mode. And this op-ed, I think it's interesting that they're mentioning that I didn't know the UK was going to be having issues, but it doesn't surprise me at all that now the UK is racing to reopen a natural gas storage site that had been shuttered in 2017. The world literally shot themselves in the foot. They did. Okay. And Putin is laughing his way as all the way about it right now. Europe is going to suffer. They're going to suffer hard. And there's just no, there's just no stopping it at this point. It's just insane. I mean, I'm surprised they haven't talked about using more coal energy plants in that article in that op-ed, but it's still interesting, but it also ties in with this too. Oil tumbles as much as 10% breaks below hundred dollars as recession fear mounts. Oil prices tumble Tuesday with the U.S. benchmark falling below $100 as recession fears grow, sparking fears of an economic slowdown will cut demand for petroleum products. West, Tech, West Texas Intermediate Crude, the U.S. oil benchmark, settled $8.24 or $8.93 lower than $99.50 a barrel. At one point, WTI slid more than 10%, trading as low as 97.43 a barrel. The contract last traded under $100 on May 11th. International benchmark crude settled at 9.45% or $10.73, uh, sorry, $10.73 lower at $102.77 per barrel. 
Ryder Bush and Associates attributed the move to tightness in global oil balances, increasingly being countered by strong likelihood of recession that has begun on uh, curtail oil demand. The oil market appears to be um, homing in on some recent weakening in the apparent demand for gasoline and diesel, the firm wrote in the note to clients. Both contracts post losses in June, snapping six straight months of gains as recession fears cause. Wall Street to reconsider demand outlook. City said Tuesday that the Brent could fall to $65 by the end of this year should the economy tip into a recession. Quote, in a recession scenario, the rising unemployment, household and corporate bankruptcies, commodities would chase a falling cost curve as costs deflate and margins turn negative to drive supply uh, curtailments, the firm wrote in a note to clients. Yeah, I don't believe that one bit. Okay? I honestly believe if a recession were to happen, I think oil spiking up. Okay, And the only reason I say that, there's not enough oil out there currently right now. Okay, There isn't. You have Europe that's in pure crisis like we've talked about. India and China, they're going to be fine no matter what it seems like because they are importing oil so cheap from Russia right now. Okay, And of course, the West is putting sanctions on Russia, so they're not importing as much oil. And obviously, there's the Middle East can't keep up with the demand either. I mean, even if they tried, we've, we've seen articles or we've talked about in the past with uh, French President Macron, I think it was, who had talked to Joe Biden at the G summit, summit, G7 summit, where he had mentioned that they were at max production. Joe Biden is also considering allowing us to drill in the Gulf of Mexico, but I believe that's just political, not political... Uh, this is a political move to make himself look good, potentially. Okay. And the only reason I say that about Joe Biden now, because there is a huge oil crisis across the nation. We've talked about it so much in the past, and I would highly advise listening to the past podcast on anything that has to do with oil these last few months, because then it'll get you caught up with everything we've talked about in the oil industry. But if this article is true for what I'm about ready to read, I'm expecting things to continue to get worse in the oil market and the oil market is going to continue climbing. Okay. Now, when I looked up this article on Google, there was a couple of articles that were saying this, but for the most part, it doesn't seem like it's being reported. So please make sure you do a little bit of research, but I'm going to report about this anyway, because if this is true, it kind of makes my blood boil. From the economy, from the economics, from the Federalist, and also you can find this on Rudders. Rudders has also reporting this as well. Okay, Joe Biden is sending U.S. reserve oil overseas as Americans cope with record gas prices. More than five million barrels of oil from President Joe Biden's unprecedented release from the nation's emergency petroleum reserves were shipped overseas last month as domestic energy prices reached record highs amid roaring inflation. According to Rudders, like I said, Rudders is reporting on this too. The fuel was exported to Europe and Asia as American consumers coped with $5 average for a gallon of regular unleaded gasoline and a $5.81 for diesel. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve remains a critical energy security tool in address, to address global crude oil supply disruptions. A spokesman from the Department of Energy told Rudders in a statement, the release to overseas nations the representative added helped stable the oil supply with shipments to the Netherlands, India, and China. Another ship is expected to carry American reserve oils overseas later this month. Yeah, why are we shipping this oil if they're reporting this to India and China when India and China are getting cheap oil from Russia right now? We literally just reported this a couple days ago. Please go listen to that podcast. Okay. I cannot believe this is happening. We are shipping oil 
are reserves that are, I believe, meant to be used during wartime to India and China, who are already getting cheap oil from Russia. This is the dumbest move I have ever, ever seen in, in my lifetime for anything, okay? It says here on the final day of March, Biden ordered that 1 million barrels of oil be released from the National Emergency Reserves for 180 days, which would strategically coincide with the timing of the November midterms as the president faced political blowback for engineering high energy prices. Democrats with, Democrats with razor-thin majorities in both chambers are already bracing for a hostile re election season since president's party has historically suffered tremendous losses in the first midterm. Biden's latest release marked the third time the White House has ordered that oil be taken from strategic reserves. At a State of the Union address in March, Biden announced the release of 30 million barrels of American petroleum in a move coordinated with other countries, tapping their own reserves to bring a total of 60 million barrels onto the market after Russia launched war on Ukraine. Western allies, including the United States, have since implemented embargoes on Russian oil, the world's third largest producer, which supplies 11% of the global petroleum. Last fall, the president released 50 million of barrels of oil from the emergency reserves to artificially suppress rising gas prices due to Thanksgiving holiday. The consequences of Biden's reserve drawdowns have been minimal to blunt high gas prices in a nation that uses about 20 million barrels per day, according to the Energy Information Administration. In fact, each release has been followed by steep increases at the pump. By the end of Biden's six-month release, the White House will have tapped 260, listen, this is crazy, will have tapped 260 million barrels from the energy reserves within two years of his inauguration, leaving the stockpile to its lowest level since 1986. In May, the Department of Energy announced plans to replenish only 60 million barrels of what's been released despite an authorized storage capacity of 714 million barrels. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is doubling down on its energy policies with an ax to the fossil fuel industry. On Friday, the Department of Interior blocked new offshore drilling projects in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico after canceling leases in each region two months ago. And there it is, people. We had reported on this podcast that he was saying, he literally announced that on a Friday, President Joe Biden saying that he would allow drilling in the Gulf. And right here we're reading, the Biden administration is doubling down on the energy policies with an ax to fossil fuel industry. On Friday, the Department of Interior blocked new offshore drilling projects in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico after canceling leases in each region two months ago. Last week, Biden's Director of National e Economic Council, Brian Deese, said the administration refusal to unleash American oil production is intended to cement the liberal world order. There it is, people. Oil is going to keep climbing. It's going to be a disaster in the making, okay? I mean, today I was actually driving and I looked at gas prices and I was like, well, it looks like gas is finally going down in some parts of California. Nope, it's not. It's going to keep rising and we're going to keep filling at the pump. And if you're investing in oil, you're going to probably make a ton of money. And Joe Biden is going to continue blaming people. He's going to keep blaming the oil companies for making too much money. He's going to blame the, what is it? The the gas stations themselves, because he also said that gas stations need to be more friendly to the American people and cut down their prices. Okay. Jeff Bezos already called out Joe Biden on that. And of course his, his, his secretary was like, Oh, you don't understand economics. No, you don't understand economics. His little secretary that he has at that podium in Washington. Oil market's going to keep going insane. My opinion, like I've said in the past, they're going to keep, keep going insane. Oil is going to be, there's going to be so little oil out there and there's going to be such high demand. And if you're invested in oil, you're going to be making a ton of money going forward, potentially.
High, high demand, no supply out there. Keep canceling these pipelines too. That's the other thing too. He canceled Keystone his first day in office and he, I believe he smiled about it too. And then he's also canceling all these projects. It's insane. Listen to our past podcasts if you haven't, guys. Because we, we've we talked about this way more in depth. But literally, this whole oil thing, it's going to cause a lot of chaos out there. In fact, if I remember correctly, in a past podcast, we talked about Sri Lanka and how Sri Lanka was facing an energy crisis. Now it's going to be happening potentially here in the United States. So get ready, people. But oil markets are going to keep going insane right now. So... With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. I ask that you please like and subscribe to this podcast and please share this with friends or family so we can get the word out about what's happening in the potentially or what could potentially happen in the markets depending on what's happening with policies that are being enacted in Washington or across the world in general. I also ask that you please share with friends or family as they might enjoy this podcast as well and they might actually want to learn more about what's happening with the markets. I mean, the more we can talk about these things, the more we can actually know what potentially how the market's going to move. I mean, they're not going to report it on CNBC or Fox Business anytime soon. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.